AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic, so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, before we begin with this week's episode, last week I mentioned that I am starting a new segment with the listeners' questions. So if you have any questions, any comments, any concerns, uh, my therapist and I, you know, I got to put my two cents in, (laughs) we will be answering your questions. So for those of you that have not experienced therapy and you want to see what a glimpse of um, therapy will be like from an experienced licensed therapist, please make sure to email us at hello at the phgpodcast.com. I think this would be a great opportunity for you all that have not experienced therapy, or even if you have experienced therapy and you just want to get a second opinion, please make sure to email us. Um, and let's get on with this week's episode. Enjoy, y'all. Welcome. You are now listening to The Professional Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the PhD Podcast. It's your girl, Ebene, and I'm super excited about this week's episode. Um, before we begin, please make sure to follow me on Instagram at the Professional Homegirl, at the PhD Podcast, and last but not least, at Ebene Beauty. Um, please make sure to follow me on Twitter at T-H-E-P-H-G underscore. And last but not least, please make sure to visit the website at www.thephgpodcast.com. Now, all of my guests are anonymous, so let's begin this week's episode. So I am super excited about having this conversation with my guests today. Um, How are you feeling to my guests? I'm doing pretty good. (laughs) Good. I'm super excited. So before we get with the, have our conversation, so I'm an avid reader. So like last year, I read like 50 books. So I read books like crazy. Oh, wow. So yes, I was in Barnes and Noble and I saw her book. So when I saw it, the title alone, I was just like, what? 
Like, it just caught my eye. And then for those of you that are interested in her book, please make sure to email me. I'm going to send out an email about her book because her book, like, really inspired me in so many different ways. And I also feel like I saw myself in her book. Like, I felt like I was reading chapters out of my life. But anywho, so I was going to get some other book, and I kept walking past her book, and I was just like, who is this girl? Like, where did she come from? (laughs) So I picked up her book, and I read your book within four hours. Oh, wow. Yeah, like, I could That's like a record. Yeah, like... (laughs) I'm telling you, like, your story has inspired me so much. And I was, like, praying and manifesting that I can have this interview with her. So I'm really excited about this one. And I hope her story really do inspire you. So let's get started. Um, So you are a Muslim woman. Yep. And I think that with your story, it was definitely educational because there was a lot of things that I feel like people don't talk about. So my first question for you is, what are some misconceptions about Muslim women? Um, There's so so many. Um, you have misconceptions kind of darting from each direction. Um, as you read in the book, it's not like, oh, just, you know, um, white people, like white women and white men trying to get you, but there's like uh, Muslim men and other Muslim women, other mm-hmm. uh, Muslims who are, who are not African-American who are trying to attack. So I think you definitely get all types of stuff from all directions um, when you are openly Muslim or mm-hmm. any open religion. But right now, you know, Muslim and Islam is like under the under the radar right now, and uh, uh kind of under under the cho- chopping block for getting attacked and stereotypes and stuff like that. But I think some of the major misconceptions of um being a Muslim is that you basically are not a, even a human. Like either mm-hmm. you are seen as um just just a monolith. You are either a terrorist. You know, you're oppressed, or you're 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 really perfect and you don't have no issues at all mm-hmm. you know it's like it's you you have a couple of narratives and then when you put black muslim on there which is what i am mm-hmm. then it gets more you know in depth like oh she's um she can't she's not a real muslim because she's black or she's uh you know which is she's crazy a con- to me convert yeah it's, it's very it's very and then also i'm fat so it's just like mm-hmm. then more like misconceptions get uh piled on you um one thing that i liked about about this topic is because you're very like i think when once you start becoming comfortable who you are like you found your voice so you was just letting niggas have it but i Mm -hmm. felt like people see that as a (laughs) well we keep it real on this podcast but i felt like people was feeling that since you weren't the typical like submissive woman that -hmm. that was a problem for you and i thought that was just crazy because you couldn't be who you really are yeah um i think I mean, as soon as you are kind of born with a vagina, mm-hmm. um, you are automatically, you know, seen as something, right? And as soon as you, you come you out the room with, with, with dark skin, it's, mm-hmm. it's basically supposedly a wrap for you, right? Mm-hmm. And so that is exactly what it was. Like, I was born like this. And anytime I would say something, it would always be an issue. You know, I was always, and you, you'll see throughout the book, it's just like, oh, you need to shut up. Like, you always talking. Like, you always got something to say. Like, you sound like a broken record. Mm-hmm. It's always, no matter what I tried to say, whether it was something that I thought about, because um, I I'm, I would say I'm a pretty assertive, confident person, but I would really, really try hard to, like, be um, quiet myself and say the right things to not upset people or make them uncomfortable. And even when I did that, people still wasn't having it. And it was I'm a just problem. Like, it's, I was like, you know, I'm really, like, putting forth the effort to shut up and say the right things. And you still not happy. And so that's when I was like, when the divorce happened, 
I was like, fuck all that. It's over. Like, it's over for everybody. And I remember the day I was on, because, you know, I was still like an Instagram influencer. I went on Instagram. I was like, y'all, listen, the divorce was finalized. And whoever you thought you knew. So it was over. You, you, didn't, you don't know. So you can unfollow me right now. It's about to get right. real, real. And that's it. That is it. And people were like, yes, we want this. Yes. <laughs> because, like, I was like, I'm not whatever y'all thought it was and all this, like, little hee-hee-ha-ha stuff. No. Like, it's real deal right now. And I will never let anyone silence. will never let anyone silence me again. Like, that was the end of that. Uh, another thing that you brought up within your book, you talked about how you were bu- born a Muslim and you converted at the age of six. So as you got older, did you ever question your religion? Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. I think that's like a normal thing. <laughs> and if someone tells you they have it, they're they're fucking lying. Um, because most people, if not all people, there's always some type of question on any on any journey that that you're taking in life. Anything you choose or your parents choose for you, there's always an inkling of like, is this the right way to go? Like, is this yeah. the right way to live? Um, like, am I living it for somebody else? Am I living it for myself? And again, like, I always kind of, I think for me with my um, relationship with Islam, it was like up and down. Um, I never, which is normal. Yeah, like I never was like, um, I hate Muslims and I don't want to, you know, I don't, I want to denounce Islam. But there are certain parts of it I was like, mm, is this necessarily for me? Like, am I doing this right? Like, everyone is sitting here calling me sluts and bitches because I don't, because I wear a turban instead of like a traditional wrapped hijab. So, is this really the religion that I want to be in? If this is like the scrutiny that I'm going to have to like live with? And I had to again go through the journey and figure out what hijab meant to me, figure out what modesty meant for me, figure out what Islam meant for me. And um, even though there are certain things of it that I pro- that I you know wouldn't want to dabble in or uh, wouldn't do personally, I'm still very much so Muslim, and that's mm-hmm. okay. Like that's right. totally fine. Anytime, like this is it's okay. You have to do it's everything or nothing, and right. that's not how life is. True. Um, one thing that I found interesting within your book, and this is also in the title of your book, was how you talked about being fat and also a Muslim. And I thought to myself, I'm like, wow, like, I felt like you noticed that at such a young age. Mm-hmm. But then when I was reading the story with your mom and you being in a clothing store, it, it kind of like throughout your whole childhood, it seemed like you was just fat shame. Mm-hmm. And it started yeah. within your household. Yeah. Why do you think that? <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, a lot of I can't speak what every I I can't really speak on like everybody else's like um you know like the Asian or Latina or like mm-hmm. Middle Eastern but I I mean from the stories that I've come up with a lot of families unfortunately fat shame and that's the earliest um especially black families <laughs> yeah that's like the earliest abuse of like body shaming is coming from family members and close friends um in, in your household and many for many girls and and boys too it starts super early. Like, I've heard mm-hmm. people dieting, like, at six, seven, eight. Like, yeah. I'm just like, that's toxic as fuck, bro. And so in my household, same thing. And, like, I always like to say, because, like, I feel like a lot of people think my mother, like, as they read it, they see her as, like, the bad guy. And I always tell people, my mom did my mom did the best she could with, with what, what she, she had, had at that time. Um, now, is she doing some other stuff now? Sure. But at the time, you know, there are certain things that we shouldn't have saw or we shouldn't have been open to but we were and so we can't change the past but we can't change our future and so I think with her it was very cyclical like her parents did it to her um Mm -hmm. her grandma her great grandmother did it to my grandmother this this whole body shame and like uh, just like fat shaming about 
um, you're too skinny, you're too this, you know, your skin tone is this and um, your hair is good and her hair is, you know, that type of shit was going on. And so unfortunately it trickled down and to to me and my siblings. And so Mm -hmm. we definitely were, were body shamed. I was body shamed for my father who, wasn't even around, but still found the need to do yeah, it. Yeah, I got some questions about that because he yeah. was just, he reminded me so much of my father because my father is, I hate to say this term, but he's a crackhead. Mm. And when I was reading the story about your father, I was just like, yo, like, the, sh- the shit was very sad. Like, no, it and is. It, but I'm going to ask you questions about that because I, I really felt like I was reading chapters on my story. And it's also one of those things that when you're going through it and you look back on it, sometimes you'd be like, damn, like, am I the only person that's going through this shit? So when you see that somebody else is going through it, it's kind of refreshing to know that you're not alone in this. And to Mm -hmm. see where you at now is just like, oh, so amazing. But anyway. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I think it's just crazy. I I wish sometimes, like, I wish that I could attach something to my father for him to be so fucked up, like him being crackhead. He's not. He's still still messed up. So I'm just like, you don't even have no, you make good money. Like, you're just, you're, you're just messed up in the head. Like, you're just not a good human being. There's no, he doesn't even have no issues other than some mental stuff that would even cause him to be so mean to, I, I honestly. Yeah, I'm he was disgusting. Point, yeah, I'm at the point yeah. now where it's like, I really, I don't like saying I hate people, but and I need to go to, go to therapy for this, but I really hate him. Um, And I don't, and I don't say that about anyone, but him personally, I just I mean, don't. I feel like with him, he definitely gave you a reason for, for what he did to you, like, when I just read it, like, it's one thing for a parent to be absent, but for what he did to you and you were struggling, like, that was, like, oh, that literally, like, broke my heart, <laughs> like. Yeah, I'm still shocked that he even did that, like, that is something that I've not heard anybody's, yeah, it was, it was bad. I, well, I'm tell just... people what he did, because I feel like we jump in, and, and people are yeah. like, what he do, what he do? <laughs> <laughs> well, basically, I mean, and it's crazy, because there's other stories that I didn't even put in the book about what he's done. But, oh, I can imagine. Yeah, he's like, when that was, was reading... like, top. That, that, that was just like, I mean, there's some, I, it could have been a whole book of what he's done. Yo, when I was reading that, I was like, I know she's admitting some things, because if he was willing to do that, I know he did some other fucked up shit. Exactly, that's what he does. Um, yeah. Yeah, but so basically, what's in the book is that he basically, um, I was so poor, like, it was, I was poor to, to, to the point where I was, like, and I was in college, I didn't have no family support, my mom, me, me and her was, you know, not really talking like that, and if we were, she didn't have the money anyway to, to support me, and I was just, like, um, putting $5 in my gas tank just to get to class, that's all I could afford is $5, mm. um, I was eating dinner at a friend's house, like, I had a friend and family, like, a family of friends to go to their house to eat dinner every, every night of the week, and that's how I was eating. And so basically he, in a nutshell, just um, stole some of my school money um, that I needed to get, get to school with. And um, he, he just was, he was just doing a lot of stuff. And I just, I, I'm not, I have not got closure for that stuff. Yeah. Um, he's never apologized. Like even, even to the, I haven't talked to him in I think over 12 or 13 years, he's still mm-hmm. alive. He's still well, um, living his best life and has never reached out to me, never apologized for any of the things he's done, um, which I definitely need uh, to get some therapy to kind of get, you know, get through that because I still have that. So I'm still holding on to it. Well, you know what? I'm going to send you my therapist information. She is like, oh my gosh, she has helped me through some of the worst experiences in my life. And I had to learn how to create my own closure. So yeah. I definitely send it to you. And then she's a black woman. Like, I think you would really like her. Like, she is like, I swear by her. Like, I even recommend her to some of the listeners, and everybody loves her. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah for sure. 
Uh, but since we on your dad, I also thought it was pretty disgusting how he didn't respect your religion and he was trying to sneak and give you pork. I was <laughs> 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 like, yo, what is wrong with people? <laughs> and it's funny now, but when I was reading it, girl, no, you should have saw me in my bed. I was like, is he serious? Yeah, because he's evil. That's just... Yes! I don't know. Like, I am I try to justify things sometimes. Like, oh, well, maybe this person is ignorant. Or maybe they don't know. Girl. It's just like, why would you do that? Like, it's no reason for me to have that. <laughs> There's no reason for me to have that. It's just but like... Then, but then it'll be times where if you didn't eat that, then you wouldn't eat. Yeah, and meanwhile, just... his whole family would be over there just going to town. <laughs> like, y'all at the park. And yeah. I was just... It was just heartbreaking yeah like, he did a lot of stuff child like that i don't know i honestly thought and i always used to think like uh why does he hate me so much like yeah. what did i do like i always remember like asking myself that when i was a kid like why does he hate me so much like what did i do to him and like i because they really used to always ask that it do, it did and like i just i i never answer myself back but then some at some points you know because you're young and you want your father because everybody else got a father but you and you're like, Girl. well, why does he hate me? Like, what did I do to him? And then you're like, well, maybe it's just me. Maybe I messed up. Maybe I did something wrong, and that's why. And so you just internalize a lot of shit. And um, and then you started believing in a sense. Yeah. And then you started, like, like doing stuff that you're not supposed to be doing because you're trying to fill mm-hmm. a void. Or you yeah. just become really hard and you don't trust niggas. Basically, yeah. that's... I mean, I'm, I'm a lot better now, but still, there's, like, that seed inside of me that's very, very much so guarded when it comes to men, especially black men, unfortunately. Mm. And I don't like to make... I don't like generalizing statements, but, like, with me and my mental illness and my trauma that I've um, got from, you know, men, for the most part, it's been black men who've, like, done me really, really bad. So I have a very, very... I'm very guarded when it comes to them and a very untrust, untrusting. And then to men in general, I'm very untrusting as well. So, yeah, it's just, it's crazy how the, the trickle down effect um, happens. It's very so it's very prevalent when you get traumatized by someone over many 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 times, and you and you're an adult now. It's just like I don't trust nobody that looks like that, yeah. anyone who sounds like that. But I also feel like it's hard for you to believe in men because not only just your father, but the other men that your mom was married to was not good examples. For sure, yeah, that too. Yeah, because it's like. You didn't experience trauma with just this man, which is your father, you or your sperm donor, because I be saying my sperm donor. Same. But you experienced it with other men that your mom was married to. And it, it was kind of like a sense with, I feel like with your mom, because I feel like your mom was like, in some sense, she was very overprotective. But like, I don't have a good relationship with my mom either. So when I was reading your story with your mom, and I kind of like had empathy towards her because I feel like she was just trying to protect y'all in a sense of y'all not um, experiencing the trauma that she went through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I do. Yeah, I definitely feel like she was overprotective for a reason, especially because she was, you know, um, sexually assaulted when she was younger. Um, so I definitely understand mm-hmm. that part. Like, she didn't well. even want y'all around her husband's. Yeah, <laughs> at all. Like, at all. She was extremely... She didn't want us around anybody, really. Like, she cut off her own family members and stuff. Not because of us, but just because, like, she had some stuff going on with them. Like, and so we were very, very much so, so, so in her shell, um, in her own world, which is, uh, which caused a lot of issues for us because we didn't know how to like thrive outside of her world that she created for us because we were mm-hmm. homeschooled. So we didn't get a lot of, yeah. you know, we were around her. She wouldn't let us go to people's houses like that. We, we couldn't go to family people. We couldn't go to family members' house. So it was very, very much so enclosed. And so being so sheltered and then going out to the real world, 
that was very interesting for a lot of me and my siblings. So how is your relationship with your mom now? Because I know she is she is she still a little sick? Because I know she had like a disorder with her joints, right? Yeah, she still um yeah is getting worse, unfortunately. Um, mm-hmm. unfortunately now. So when my book dropped, um, she how was that? Hit the fan because yeah. she. <laughs> So basically, um, I only talk to my older sister. Like, me and her mm-hmm. are very, very tight, very, very cool. My other siblings are very weird, and that's putting it nicely. Um, <laughs> they're, I, I don't have contact with them like that. Um, mm-hmm. My younger sister is, uh, enables my mother, and my mother enables her. And so I'm they both you, have some type twins. of... They both have some toxic stuff going on that I told them over and over again that I'm not going to be involved in, but they think I'm playing with them. So basically, when my book got launched, I asked my mother, I told her I'll rent her car to, to you know, bring her to the book signing. She didn't have to worry about nothing. I was going to pay for everything, even though I didn't have the money like that anyway. But anyway, right. and I was going to make concessions for her to come. And literally, where she lives is about 40 minutes from to where my book signing was. And I had two of them. She didn't come to either one of them. Um, and I was very hurt about that. Yeah. And so I don't know if she, I was going to tell her about the book that day uh, because leading up, I didn't feel like dealing with any of the, 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 the theatrics of the book. So I was going to tell mm-hmm. her when she came to the thing or whatever, you know, about the book and she didn't show up. And so it was a whole situation about that. Um, she tried to gaslight me. So right now we're in not a good place right now. And it's yeah. been, the book's been out since, the book's been out since October. Oh, and we have not had a conversation because she, it's too busy gaslighting. She's too busy using her illness to treat people like shit. And so mm-hmm. right now I'm in a place where it's just like, I'm not subjecting myself to abuse. Am I enabling your, your, your ridiculousness? People are sick, but they don't, get, they don't get to treat people like crap because they're sick. You know what I mean? And so because I only have one parent, I do. The only reason I haven't cut her off is because I only have her left. My grandparents are passed away. My father's not there. So it's like, I don't have anybody else to, you know what I mean? It's just like, I'm still, in, I'm still in like the limbo of like, what should I do with the situation? Because obviously it's hurting me. Yeah. So I'm right now, I'm not talking to her. Uh, unfortunately. Now, I'm going to give you my therapist number. Cause I don't have a relationship with my mom or my father. And it, at first I was like, you like feeling kind of hurt. But then again, it was just like, yo, like all you have is yourself these days. Like if you can't even mm, that's true. have, you, if you can't even have your mom show up and support you, it's just like, what more can you do at this point? You know? Yeah, I feel like anything I do is, like, never... It's not it's, good enough. It's never. And it's so funny because I'm the most decorated out of all my siblings. Like, mm-hmm. like many, many times over. Like, I am the most, like, educated. I'm the most, like, well-traveled. You got two degrees. I've had, like, I have two masters. Mm-hmm. My family does not care. They've treated me like I've done something to them when I've literally just lived my best life aside from them. And it's mm-hmm. like they have, a, they have resentment towards me or some type of vendetta they can't bring themselves to celebrate my wins. And so because now I'm like, well, I don't care. I'm just going to do my own thing. It's like, oh, she doesn't care. She's too big for us now. It's like, who said that y'all? I invite y'all to every single thing. You guys don't care. You guys resent me. And so it's funny how it's just like they don't care about me. Um, And uh, so, which is bad because everyone's alive. Everyone has cars. Everyone got like the internet. And nobody comes and supports me, but I get hella love from complete strangers, which is very oh, interesting. Yeah. It's very interesting. The yeah, it's it's weird. Because <laughs> when I found you on um, Instagram, and like you're popping, like you get love from everybody, all shapes and sizes and colors. So yeah, 
I mean, that's just an indicator of who you are as a person. Like, you are love. And I know it sucks not to have that love from your immediate family, but sometimes you just have to just keep it moving, you know? That is and true. Speak, and speaking of your Instagram, I know you're a big advocate for um, body positivity. Yes. So when did you learn to love the body that you're in? Because I also think with your book, you did a, a great job of showing that transition from where you were in the beginning to where you're at now. Because now you're like a damn near a supermodel. <laughs> <laughs> so how was that transition? Oh man, it's been difficult. <laughs> like I still, yeah. I think that people, and that's why I like to keep it a hundred percent with my followers. You because, do because um, I don't think people never show you the other side of success. And by no means am I saying I'm like a mega super million follower account, but like I have done some things that I've never thought I would do, and other people would think that somebody who looks like me like me would never achieve or do. And so, looking from the other side of success is so interesting to be like you might be modeling with the top models, but you still are othered. You know what I'm saying? Like you still are othered. It's like, you don't necessarily fit in, even though you've made it to that point. And it's, it's sometimes it's intimidating. Like you get imposter syndrome, you, you know, your body dysmorphia falls in there. Like, you know, your, your fat phobic ideologies seep back in there. And so Mm. even though you might see a beautiful picture on the internet and see me on sets with these people who are like amazing and, traveling around the world, I still have like these deep rooted insecurities that I fight against and have definitely overcome half more than halfway, but they still seep in. And I think there's a misconception that just because you're popping on the internet, that means that you got money. That means that you're just mm-hmm. like confident 24 seven. That means that you're this and your man is that. And it's just like, we, people who are popping or successful still have issues. They just don't tell you. And mm-hmm. so I like to make, I, I want to like, so with my brand, it's, I'm trying to bring the humanness, the human element back into the internet and back into to social media, because at the end of the day, we're all human beings on social media. doesn't matter if you have 3 million followers or three followers, you're, you're a human being. And I want to show people the journey of, of where I came from to where I am now. And even the journey that will be five years from now, I want to show you the real deal behind the scenes and what's happening Um, whether I'm booking gigs or doing speaking engagements or I'm having like a mental breakdown. Like, I want you to be right there with me. But do you think social media plays into that? Because I feel like even with myself, like sometimes I have to like, like I don't have all the money that I want to have, right? So if I see somebody else, they got this trip, they got this, they got that, and it plays into it. So do you think that social media plays into like the fat shaming or the disrespect to different religions? I mean, there's always, there's, I think there's always going to be the two sides of the coin. There's always going to be like social media is a vessel for us to connect with other human beings. Right. And Mm -hmm. if that's through hatred, then that's your connection. If it's through love and positivity and (laughs) empowerment, then that's going to be your connection. Same thing with money. The same thing with like any, any, anything I can say, I can say personally that if I didn't have Instagram, I would not be here right now. That's, I would have a book deal. I would not be working with Target. I would not have um, flown and done anything in Europe without Instagram. And so, just yes, yes, there are so many trolls online. Yes, like social media can play into fat phobia and Islamophobia and colorism and classism. Of course it can. But it's like you need to be able to figure out how to shield yourself from these things. Also curate your feed. My feed is curated. If I feel like you're doing too many before and after pictures, I might have mad love for you, but it's triggering to me. If you're talking about some mm-hmm. flat tummy tea, I'm sorry, love, get your coins, but I'm going to unfollow you. If you're talking Same. about like, you know, if you're like um, trying to talk about 
how biracial babies are so cute over dark skinned babies. I'm sorry, I'm unfollowing. I don't like you. that. You know what I'm saying? Like if, if you if you want to do some <laughs> stupid stuff that I don't want to see, then I'm gonna unfollow you. Not because I hate you, not because I don't want to support you, but now you now you're going to the left, and I, I'm trying to get to the right. And so you have to be able to be like, you know what? I'm gonna curate my feed because I don't want to fall into the trap of seeing stuff that triggers me. And so people have to understand that social media can be used for good or bad. I, I mm-hmm. want to I want to mostly use mine for something that's empowering and something that's going to make me a stronger individual. Um, I'm not trying to hear and see all that extra stuff. Facts. Uh, I know. So you was married for almost a decade, which I was like shocked. <laughs> uh, and I don't want to give too much energy to that because I think you're just so dope. And I think I don't want to give too much of your book away because your book is really amazing. But throughout your tenure, I mean, that was just traumatizing within itself. What would you say was the number one lesson you learned from that? Um, wow. I think the number one lesson is that you really don't, I I would say for people to stop trying to find other people to feel, fulfill you, um, Mm. or to make you whole. And I think Will Smith said something very, very similar when he was talking about like marriage and stuff with Jada and stuff like that and how, they're not looking to complete each other. They're looking to um, enhance one another. And I was like, wow. Yeah. Like, it's, so, it's so simple, but we always trying to, a lot of us are scared to be alone. A lot of us are afraid to sit with ourselves. That's mm-hmm. why we have serial daters and people who are, and I'm very sex positive, people who are um, hypersexual and the, to the point where they're not doing it because they want to do it. They're doing it because they're trying to fill a void or they don't want to be alone. And we're doing these things and we're hitting the same, the same wall because we're too afraid to really sit with ourselves and ask ourselves, what do you want? Not what society told you to do, not the fairy tale wedding, not the fairy tale dude. Mm-hmm. How do you create your own fairy tale and then invite someone into that? And you guys invite each other into you guys' situations instead of being like, well, I need him to fulfill me and make me a whole circle. No. That's not what you need. You need to right. be able to fend for yourself and travel the world solo and do things you've never done before right. and attain those things. And sometimes you have to do those things alone. We, we, we're just like, and I have to tell myself that too after I got divorced. I'm like, well, I'm broken and I need to have somebody so I can feel like I'm, and I'm just like, it, it basically, I was doing reckless stuff, which is also in a book. Yeah. I, was trying to, I, was trying to, I was trying to fulfill a void. And I was just, I was just, racking up bodies just like everybody else was and that wasn't mm-hmm. me and I was like you know what you have to be you're going to have to be by yourself that, that's it and yes All it was right. uncomfortable yes it was painful but now it's just like I want to get to a point where if I do invite someone into my space whatever whether it's serious or not serious they need to serve a purpose and vice versa if we're not ser- serving each other's purpose then there's no point of us talking so I'm very very selective now I think I've learned what I don't want from the from from us from the situation is that I need to be selective and stop trying to change people. Stop trying to fill your void with something that's like ridiculous. And I learned a lot from. I think I learned a lot from that um, that that situation and that ten year relationship that went yeah. to shit. I mean, he tried it. He, <laughs> he tried did. it, man. He did. But do you think the reason, one of the reasons why you stayed in that relationship for the amount of time that you did, results back to not having that positive black man or just positive man figure in your life Mm, I think that I did not want to get divorced because I didn't want to be a serial marriage or like my mom like oh that too yeah me and my sister made a pact we were like we will never we will never like we literally made a pact like a couple times in life like when she got married and I got married I was like nope not doing it 
And so I kept, <laughs> like, I kept to my promise, like, I'm not going to get married 80,000 times. Like, I've seen other women and me and do and my own mother. And so that was one. Also, it's, I put a lot of time and effort into him because he was definitely not what it was when I first met him. They never um, are. <laughs> okay. And I put a lot of effort and energy into that man. And so I was like, you know what? I'm not going to let another bitch take my hard work. So yeah. it, was, it was pride. Yo, it was pride. It was oh. like... But at the same time, it's just like, that's not, you chose to be that person for him. You chose to put your time and energy and take away from you, your cup to put in his cup. You chose to do that. So whatever happens, happens. And so I had to get over, I had to humble myself and get over that and be like, you know what? He's not your property. And yes, somebody else is going to deal with him. The good stuff that you've given him, but also they got to deal with his bullshit too, because it's a lot of that. And so I had to get out of that mindset of like, oh, I built you, I made you and da, 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 da. And, you know, you're mine. And no, I had to get over that. Like, that's not, we can't do that to people. I was like, yo, this nigga got some nerve. You showed him how to do a resume, got him a job, and he had the nerve to move the way he was moving. I was like, nah. That's what they do. That's what they do. do. Unfortunately. (laughs) That's why I'm just like, "Mm, see? And, like, a guy trying to finesse me now, and, like, it never lasts because they get, because I I tell, I'm pretty blunt, and guys try to finesse me. I was like, honey, I wrote the book on finessing. Try again. (laughs) They're like, oh, so you one of those? Yes, I'm one of those. Dead Keep ass. it moving, brother. Keep it moving, brother. They be like, oh, okay, go find your next victim somewhere else. I had a whole relationship. Stop. Exactly. Um, I'm just curious because your mom was married. I think you said like five times. No, she was married. Um, I think nine times. Oh, I think wow. two of them were to the same person. So yeah, about like nine time- times. So what yeah. do you think that your mom taught you about men? Um. Well, it depends on like what era. So when I was first, because <laughs> it's like the first <laughs> ten years, the next ten years, the next ten years. So now I'm thirty. Um, I think initially, I think she taught us that they were disposable. Yo, I was thinking that. Yeah. So yeah. like from an early age, I always thought men were so disposable. Like I, I thought that they just came in, caused issues, got you pregnant, and then left. Like that's how like I thought. That's what I thought men did. And so from when I was like you know little to like maybe sixteen. I always thought they were disposable. And so that also, like, made it hard for me to make connections with men and stuff like that. Because I was like, I mean, you can go. Like, at the end, like, the most minor inconvenience, you can go. Because I know you can go. And so it wasn't (laughs) even like, oh, let's talk about this. Let's try to work this out. It was like, you can go. And so that's what I learned, unfortunately, from her. Um, I'd like to have a better answer for you other than that. But I feel like Mm -hmm. that was, that's what I learned from her is that men are disposable. So let's talk about your breaking point with um with therapy. When I was reading that in that chapter, I was like, yo, I so feel her on this. What was the breaking point for you to attend therapy? Because I feel like it was a struggle for you to even go. Oh, for sure. Um, so I've had like mental breaks throughout my life. Um, a lot of t- uh, like throughout my life or whatever, and I never knew what they were because we didn't really talk about mental illness when we were like little. Yeah. Um, so like when I used to have them and I would be flipping out, freaking out, I would never know what they were and never even cared to research it. Cause no one talked about it. And so the breaking point for me was when I was working a job that I hated. I had just, um, I just, uh, not just, just graduated, but I was married. Um, we had been married for a couple of years. I had uh, left a job that was very abusive and like race, racist. I was the only black girl in a white store. I was a manager. I was young. They were mad about it because I was educated and young and they couldn't take it, of course. And so I had to leave that situation because it was making me go very, very crazy. I was unemployed for a very long time. Finally got another job that ended up being 
a lot worse, more diverse, but still worse. Mm-hmm. And um, I started having really, really bad mental breaks, like anxiety, deep depression, like anger. Mm-hmm. And um, just like I was at the bottom of the barrel mentally. Like I didn't think highly of myself. I didn't think highly of others. I hated myself and I hated other people. You was I don't angry. Want people, yeah, I don't want people talking to me. I don't want them saying shit to me. Let me sit in my anger and hatred for everything. <laughs> and so the, the breaking point for me, I think, was when I went um, to jail. That was, I think yeah. that was like, that was like the top breaking point. I was just like, you are in a master's program. You like are smart. Like you are not like no, you're, you're not no bum bitch. Why are, you, why are you sitting here right now? And I started laughing at myself in the fucking jail cell. Cause I was like, <laughs> That's you how you know it's so real. Stupid. You, you look so you, dumb right now. Were you <laughs> laughing at yourself? That I was like laugh crying because I look so dumb. Cause I, because I allowed somebody to get me to that point. Mm-hmm. of like almost no re- like that could have went so bad like I'm whatever you believe in whether it's God like whatever the entity the universe whatever like was really looking out for me because that could have went so bad like Word. I was protected that that day because it could have went really really bad where I could have I been in prison um I could have lost everything and so like I knew that and I was like you know what never again will I put my hands on somebody never again will I even get to the point where I'm just that angry where I black out yeah. That will never happen again, and I will try like, my hardest. To trying do that. it, man. they do, they do, but, but it's you still can't black out. Yeah. exactly. And I was like, so <laughs> I, I kept my promise. I've not touched anybody. I've not been to jail. Not been arrested. No police called on me uh, <laughs> since that day happened. And I'm like, I, I know I'm very proud of that because, like, I definitely didn't give a fuck. I was like, oh, jail, put me in prison. I don't care. <laughs> like, I was that person. Like, put me in, okay, prison. That's okay. that day. That's that Detroit in you. Basically. Basically. <laughs> so how has attending therapy shaped who you are now? Mm, I think that um I think therapy has definitely saved my life. Like honestly, I'm actually looking for therapists now again, um, to with my insurance company. Um, and so finally I'm getting back in when I should have been got back in. But the five year stint that I did with like therapy uh, prior to this, it's definitely made me a lot more um self aware. Because, like, mm-hmm. I have a personality disorder. And so mm-hmm. I'm not aware of certain things, how they make people feel. Um, and so I'm the more aware of people's feelings, aware of my own feelings. Uh, boundaries have been set now. Like, boundaries is, like, my number one yeah. for every single year. I learned the power that therapy, no. too. Yeah. yeah. It's, like, boundaries and, like, your, your breaking point of, like, when you do get to the blackout phase, when you're pulling out knives and guns. How, yeah. do, we, how do we take a step back? Three steps before we get to that breaking point, and yeah, so now so like true. I, I like now I'm I'm the queen of getting my person walking out. Like I walk out of uh, biz <laughs> meetings, I work out of work, walk out of work meetings, I walk out of friend friend um conversations. Coming yeah. back, nope, she's not coming back because because when I said I'm done, I'm done. So yeah, I am the queen <laughs> of boundaries. I don't play that shit. My peace is so much more than what it was before. Like I'm not losing my shit over something that I can control. So For I will sure. leave. I will leave. Yeah. I've definitely um, left before. <laughs> yeah. Um. So one thing about this book and that you constantly kept talking, just putting emphasis on it. And I was just like, wow. Like, cause like you, like I was like so fucking angry these past couple of months. And I just thought it was so beautiful how you told your story and how you shared it. Did you ever think that by using your anger that you would get the result that you have now with a book? Mm, no, <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. 
because you you can read the pain like I think that's why I just relate to it so much because like, like you like I just know when it feels like when nothing is sticking to the damn wall like you're just yeah. so frustrated so when you were just telling your story and like most black people especially black women like we just grow up in like traumatizing households so it's just like I just thought it was just so amazing that you shared your story with us and like for it to be a book and it's a I good know. book that we need to get to New York Times bestseller that was like, great yeah that would be awesome um yeah I never thought it was possible honestly I think one thing because I always ask myself what makes you different from somebody else that you grew up with because a lot of people that I grew up with did not have not made it um they have basically succumbed to the trauma and now they're doing it to their children or they are sitting in it with a bullshit ass man or they are you know not living to their fullest potential and I always ask myself what makes you different from the other people that have not made it and I always say that I have well I'm very diligent I don't take no for an answer also I very I, I know I, me I like too. to use I like to use people's negativity I like to use it to like push myself to go further and do more and do better than them uh then I also mm-hmm. like I always I always kept hope that there is something larger for me there's something bigger for me that we couldn't that we none of us could imagine like, I always would tell myself every year, like, there's something waiting for you on the other side that you can't even fucking imagine. You have to keep going. Mm. And I would tell myself that every year. Um, I don't know where that came from, but I felt it in my heart and my soul that something was meant for me that was bigger than what the fuck I was living in, what I was looking at, what people were telling me. And mm-hmm. I still believe that now. Like, I believe that one day I'm going to be a mogul. Like, that's it. I don't know how mm-hmm. it's going to happen. And in what it's going to happen for sure. But it's going to happen. So, um, how has being so transparent helped you with your healing? Because I can only imagine what you reading in this, writing this book, sharing these stories, having these conversations. Like it kind of brings up some type of feelings, does it? Um, yeah. I mean, they always bring up traumas. I think that yeah. once you talk about it more, it gets easier. But um, there are certain topics I'm so like, mm, well, this is still very much, very much so painful to either talk about or yeah. to you know remember and. The memoir was in itself very painful to write because I had to like bring up stuff that I had buried for 10 years, five years, 15 years. And to bring them to the head and actually write about them and even edit them was very, very painful. Like I would have to take lots of breaks. I would cry a lot. Um, I would, yeah, naps and crying is how I wrote that book. Um, like in between, because <laughs> it was just too much to recall some of those things. And so I haven't really read the book recently, but I did, uh, there's one essay that I read about, I think the time when I was like um, at the beach and I was just like about to admit myself to the the psych ward. And um, I read that one. I hadn't read it in like a year. And so of course that's the fucking one I picked to read at this book signing in Detroit. And I started busting out crying and people Mm. was in the audience crying. And I was just like, damn. No, but that's real shit, man. I'm telling you. Like when I was reading your book, I was just like, yo, like, it's so many stories that I can relate to, like with this childhood trauma with my mom being with so many different men, but my daddy ain't being shit, my abortion story, like being in a relationship for so long. Like it was like, oh, I was just like, nah, this shit is so fucking fire, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, last but not least, what is some advice you would give to our listeners on embracing their story and loving themselves more throughout it all? Mm, I think that, I mean, kind of going back to like what I tell, told myself to get to where I am now um, is that, you know, on the other side of fear is greatness. Like you have to really look at you. You have to really sit alone and you have to ask yourself, what am I like most afraid of? Am I afraid of failing? 
am I afraid of success? Like, am I afraid of sending us this resume out or, or starting this podcast or trying to start this career? Like, what are you most afraid of in life? And I, w- I want you to dive all the way into it. Like, I want you to, like, for real, for real, like, passionately dive into it. And, like, I know a lot of times we don't have the resources that we need. But at the same time, it's like we can create our own resources. A lot of things can be done with just bartering, with research. You know what I'm saying? Like with clearance mm-hmm. rack items, with um, borrowing things from other people. Like we can do things. And the best things that we do are these creative things that we do that um, are stemming from our traumas and our pain and stuff like that. And so I just feel like there's no reason for us not to do what we want to do. Like there's mm-hmm. not a reason. Like the human body is like, it's, I call it our temporary vessels. Yeah. We are, these bodies that we have are loners. This is not our bodies. And so if it's a loner and you knew how much time you had, what would you do? Like, would you go and do the thing that you really want to do? So then what's stopping you? And I'm not, saying it's, I'm not saying it's easy to do it. It's not. But you have to see, you have, you have to try. Like, you owe it to yourself. You owe it to the vessel that you have that's borrowed to at least try um, and the second thing I would say is to never listen to other people facts because like people will really try to like just like derail you and like I'm Muslim so I believe that there is there are people put in your life to 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 boost you mm-hmm. and there are people put in your life just to stop you from doing something and you'll notice that when you're close to a breakthrough that's when they start coming heavy you cannot yeah. allow them you cannot allow their negativity their insecurities and I'm talking about close family friends your baby daddy uh your husband your baby mama husband. everybody but everybody you cannot allow them to tell you what you can and cannot do because you will Man. lose a lot of time by listening to people who don't know what the fuck is going on don't know what's going on in their life or their kids life trying to tell you what you should do so if you exactly. want to do it then go do it and and shut out the naysayers yo so I am like, I know y'all are probably like, oh, this bitch is really excited, but I've been trying to get in contact and have this, our guest on, on this episode for like the past two months. So like, and my birthday is February the 8th. So we recorded this episode on the 3rd. So this is like the best birthday present ever because <laughs> I'm telling you, your story has really just inspired me because I want to eventually write my own book and like, you're just such an inspiration. So as a okay. birthday gift to one of my listeners, Whoever emails me first, I'm going to send you a, a book of hers. I put a little note inside of it, but, like, Aww. I really want y'all to go out and get her book because her, I mean, she's just so amazing, y'all. And to hear her journey now and to see where she's at. And if you want to connect with her, I'll definitely share with her yeah, her Instagram information. But whoever emailed me first, I'm definitely going to send y'all a book because I just, like, this has been one of my favorite books since last year. Like, love, wow. love, love. So thank, thank you. you so much for inspiring me. If y'all have any questions, comments, or concerns, please email me at hello at T-H-E-P-H-G-podcast.com. And until next time, guys, later. Bye. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Kerry Hilson, Adonis, mm-hmm. back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.